0: Welcome to. Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel podcast network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. We really do say this at the start of each one of these podcasts, but what a week! of college tennis we have seen over the past seven days so many results for us to run through today we had our number one team and last undefeated division one men's tennis squad north carolina fall for the first time at virginia we had illinois open up the big 10 regular season title race by knocking off michigan at home we had arizona Making their move in the Pac 12 and so many other fun results from across the country to digest. Joining me on today's podcast to do just that, as they always do each and every week, are the two other members of our college tennis crack, uh, college tennis crack rackets holy trinity. Let's start where we always start. You know him as a former four star recruit on tennis recruiting.net, your favorite writer on our website crackrackets.com, and the Sam Paul of the podcast podcast. podcast scheduling world. It's Matt, the Cracks, the Koyak, Maddie. Hey, great shot as always. What a weekend, my friend.
1: Well, I mean, based on what you just said, typical weekend, right? In college (laughs) tennis. I mean, you know, to me, nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. We had some upsets. We had some blowouts. We had some four, three matches. Um, you know, par for the course, right? I got caught in the parking
0: lot of the Illinois Men's Tennis, Atkins Tennis Center. And yes, I say caught in the parking lot because they took care of business on Sunday. It was a fairly routine, although I have to say Michigan State fought pretty well, particularly given the absences in their singles lineup, but was a fairly routine 7-0 victory for Illinois. I say that lovingly because, again, I... It, it was a good fight by Michigan State. Illinois is just really freaking good. Anyways, I'm in my car, and Michigan and Northwestern is a borderline disaster because, of course, we lost that match on Friday to Illinois. And, you know, we dropped the doubles point, we drop a couple of first sets, and things aren't looking great in Evanston. And so I was like, I can't hit the road. I have to sit here in my car and watch the end of this match because otherwise I'm going to be driving and watching the tennis, and that's not good for anyone. And so I get a knock on my window, and I'm like – I look up, and it's someone on the Illinois staff, and they're like, you said you were leaving an hour ago. Like, what are you still doing here? And I was like, I'm sorry. Like, I have to watch the end of this match. I just had to do it. They were like, you could have come back inside. I was like, no, 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 no. I was too ashamed to do that. anyways, you're right. It was a ho-hummer of a weekend, Matty nothing out of the ordinary for us college tennis fans joining us to talk about how it all impacts the rankings, how it all broke down this weekend. You know him as the forefather of the college tennis ranks formula. Predictions never far from the listed UTR, one of the many deems to root for the Liberty Flames, lover of mothers, lover of almond joys, the snitch, the professor. He quotes Henry Ford. He's got Two shoulders. And I have to say, and I don't compliment him on this often, the coordination between his yellow hooded sweatshirt and his yellow and black Tour de France hat, perhaps the most coordinated we have ever seen him. It's Chris Hallioris. Chris, hey, great shot. You're looking
2: good, my friend. Sheer coincidence. (laughs) Uh, You know, it got cold last night. We didn't turn the heat on. I refused. And uh, it meant I had to wear a hoodie when I worked today.
0: So that is the most you have ever shown your age by saying when people are like, "Can we heat up the house?" and you're like, "No, the electricity bill." Like that is your stereotypical. That is actually the I just didn't you've ever want
2: seen. to smell the heater. You know. <laughs> but, uh, I will also say, Gruskin, that I'm going to apologize on your behalf. Okay. To St. John's, Navy, Bryant, Lehigh, and Fordham all of who are still undefeated.
0: Oh, thank you. So when I said that, I was nervous. I was like, <laughs> hopefully Chris will be able to correct me. I appreciate that correction. Yes, there are a few other undefeated teams out there. Uh, that was a much needed correction. So as always, hey, great shout. That's why we keep you around. The professor through and through, Chris. I think I just got a 78 on my homework report. Like That was not a good performance (laughs) from me. Because every semester you get one assignment you drop. I'm going to drop that assignment, just so you know, in (laughs) advance. But anyways, it's been a fantastic week of college tennis. So, of course, again, we want to break down all of the results. Of course, the reason we're able to do that week in, week out here on the podcast, the support we get from all of you listeners, and I mean this sincerely, the amount of DMs and – when I'm in person at these matches, people who come up and say hello, all these different things, it really does mean the world to all of us. And unfortunately, Maddie's not able to get on the road as much as he will, but I will never forget after the men's national indoors, and I know he would be okay with me sharing this, when Blumberg comes up to me and goes, tell Maddie he's welcome. And that was like my favorite line, I think, of the college tennis season. Um, and so sincerely to all of you listeners, to all of the coaches, players, fans who listen in, it does mean the world to us to hear from from all of you it is i think a larger community than people give it credit for but that we can bring the college tennis community together in one place. That's our goal here at Crack Rackets, so shout out to all of you for embracing that and, you know, again making it feel like we have a Crack Rackets college tennis community here. Of course a shout out to our Patreon subscribers. That was a big shout out. I'm feeling very loving because I'm going to be able to bury the lead that Michigan lost. That's like the third thing we're going to cover. We're not going to get to that till like minute number 35, so I'm really excited about that. But of course the other reason we're able to make this happen because of our friends at Turner grip, you know the deal. Turner grip is synonymous with grips everywhere. It is that purple, bluish hue that you see on the bottom of everyone's racket. It is the stickiest, the tackiest, whatever verb, adverb, adjective you want to use. It does it all. If you want to contact them to become a part of the turn team email sales at uniquesports.com or call 800-554-3707. Again, sales at uniquesports.com or 800-554-3707. You tell them Cracked Racket sent you. They'll hook you up with some free items they're going to take care of you our friends at Turner to grip the best in the business for a reason sales at unique sports.com or 800-554-3707 with that in mind there's only one place to start and it's the fact that our number one team our national indoor champion are pretty prohibitive favorite to this point to cut down the net's you know, pejoratively and bring home the title in May, North Carolina suffers their first loss of the season. And it wasn't just a loss. And I say this lovingly, and I hate the fact that now these players come up to me and I like feel bad. I don't want to talk bad about anyone. I don't want to say what's on my mind. So to anyone who hears this, let's be clear. If I don't say what's on my mind, this podcast will turn to trash. So sometimes I'm going to have to do that. Virginia put a beat down. On North Carolina, plain and simple. They beat them in the doubles. It came down to a tiebreaker at the number one position. You would bet the house that that's where you want Blumberg and Cernok to be, that they take that tiebreaker. They don't. And then, of course, early on after the first game, Rinky Hijikata has to retire at number two singles. So they go down a quick 2-0, and when you're on the road, that's never something you want. But this UNC team dropped the doubles point to Virginia at the National Indoors. And the key thing about this match is it was an indoor match. It wasn't an early season, outdoor, windy, no one has their rhythm sort of affair. This is an indoor match, and you're the indoor national champions. And in theory, you feel, you're feel you fielding a full lineup on the day. And the fact that UNC lost this match... Uh, You know, again, decisively 6 1. The fact that the only set they won on the day came at the number six singles position from Matt Kyger, who ends up winning his match 10 7 in the third. And by the way, it's a shout out to Matt Kyger. I watched what happened to Matthias Seymour after his team got clinched on, and, you know, he just kind of was done with that Zeke Clark match. At least Matt Kyger fought through through the end. You have to give him credit, and considering six singles still up in the air, it's a big win for Kyger. But Virginia won straight set matches, Maddie, at one, three, four, and five, and they got it done from Soderlin, Rodesh, Montes, and Getz. I
1: mean, I, I don't know a better term than beatdown. Yeah, no, I mean it. It definitely was, but. I mean, guys, I think maybe we could have seen this coming. Like, if we look back over the last couple of weeks, right, North Carolina hasn't been playing their best. They should have lost to South Carolina. We just got done talking about this a few days ago, you know, on our pod last week. They just – they're not – they're not feeling it right now. I mean, there are certain teams that you look at, you know, like a Florida, for example, and they're just rolling. You can tell. Every time they take the court, they are just – It's all flowing, you know, in the right direction. And North Carolina has not been in that position really since indoors. I mean, the ACC season's been okay for them. I mean, it's been nothing crazy. They've won their matches. But, you know, I mean, they should have lost to South Carolina. And Virginia's just been very steady. I mean, every match it seems like these guys show up. Yeah, they have two losses on the year. They both came at indoors. But ever since then, I haven't seen anything out of Virginia You know to be alarmed about in fact i've only been more encouraged by their play so for me the loss here for north carolina isn't that shocking in a way we could have seen it coming however like you mentioned gruskin in the fashion that this happened i mean just straight set blowouts on almost every single court you know especially three four and five yeah, it's not a good look for for the Tar Heels. You know, it's it's just not. I mean, they've got to find a way to right the ship. I assume that they will. They're too good of a team not to fix this. But yeah, they're not they're not feeling it right now. That's obvious.
0: Yeah, and look, the doubles point is a wash because when you come down to a tiebreaker at a position, that's a pickem, and they got the win from Kyger and Sondergaard. Hijikata and Seguin are not the team they were last year. And they essentially faced last year's version of themselves in von der Schulenberg and in Yaki Montez at the number three position. Von der Schulenberg and Montez have been so good, they get a 6-4 victory there. Of course, Seguin's been dealing with injuries all season long. Rinky obviously gets hurt uh, to the point where he has to retire in singles. That's a factor. Now, that Kyger and Sondergaard win, that's a good thing. Blumberg and Cernok, again, it's a tiebreaker. You still take them nine out of ten times. I think you can throw that away. But Chris, in the five—well, we'll we'll say four first sets because I'm not going to include two singles. In the four first sets they lost, they didn't even get to a tiebreaker like it was the closest set was the 6-3 set Blumberg had against Soderland. They played one tiebreaker in any of their straight set losses. That was Will loses that tiebreaker at one singles, which again the match had already been clinched at that point. You can sort you don't throw the result out because certainly, you know, I'm I know Will, he's not quitting at that point. But it's just it was rough. It was rough for the Tar Heels.
2: Yeah, I mean I'm I'm I- as I told you on the drive back from Illinois, I pretty much echoed, and I hadn't talked to Maddie, but echoed Maddie's sentiments in that, uh, honestly, not all that surprised. I mean, you know, to, to Maddie's point, we saw what what almost happened against South Carolina. And then, as, as I mentioned to you, Gruskin, even, even the win over Virginia Tech wasn't an impressive win. I mean, there were, there were tight matches uh, going on there that, you know, you didn't you kind of expect North Carolina to to do sort of what Virginia did to them, you know, some some two and three type, get a couple of those. Sure, you're going to have a few matches that go tight or three sets. But when you're playing, you know, a, a team that's, no, you know, number 38 like Virginia Tech, is you expect North Carolina to get out with a bunch of relatively safe straight set wins and they just, you know, it wasn't happening. So, yeah, I think they're, like Maddie said, they're kind of, not trending in the in the greatest direction uh, right now, but uh, you know we'll see we'll see if that all changes come when it time when it really matters. Yeah, and look, the,
0: we led with the North Carolina loss in that perspective because they were the number one undefeated team in the country. That's the big storyline. the The real takeaway, though i I can't say my anymore, but the Who's are back. They are, and you look at this team now. Nine wins in a row since they lost that match to Illinois. That final match at the national indoors, undefeated in conference play. The spot they were struggling at. Ryan Getz was two and three at the four singles position. They said, "Okay, let's move him down to the number five spot. We'll move Chris Rodash up." Well, Ryan Getz six and zero oh now at the number five singles position. Inaki Montes has been four and zero oh at the four singles position. Rodesh, three and one at four, five and one at three. I mean, their worst position has been the number six spot, and they went. With Woodall this weekend He loses a three set match to Kyger But whatever he did his job Is it going to be Gianni Ross Is it going to be Alex Kiefer That's still a question But one through five And I mean for any team, to have five locks in your lineup the way Virginia does, starting with Soderlin, I think von der Schulenberg has had a pretty strong you know, foothold now at that number two position. He's five and one overall in the season and thirteen at, at number two and 13 and two overall in dual matches. Then you can literally play who's ever hot. Rodesh, Montez, Gatz, kind of interchangeable three through five. Matty, this team's nine and oh in ACC play now. They're a legit, you know, you can say they could win the national championship. This result, I now believe they can win the national champion. There's a difference between
1: saying they could and believing they can. I believe they can. Do you? Yeah. I, oh, absolutely. I do. This is absolutely a contender. And they really have been all year, guys. Like when we first saw them in Columbus take out Ohio State at the kickoff weekend, I mean, that all of a sudden that was just like, okay. This is a different Virginia squad. And coming into the year, we didn't know, right? They're relying on freshmen here. We didn't know how good these guys were really going to be. I mean, Dr. Vaughn and Montez and Rodesh and I mean, we knew they were going to be solid players, right? But we didn't know the level of impact that they were going to have. I mean, when you're starting three freshmen like this and they're winning all of these matches I mean, the the most exciting thing about Virginia is whether they win it this year or not, win the title, right, they are building now for the future. Like, we're looking like a year from now, two years from now, three. Like, they are going to be relevant for many, many years to come now. And if they keep recruiting the way that they have here, that's just going to continue. So, Coach Pedroso, I mean, he's doing a great job. But, yes, I, you know, this result here, Groskin, to me, doesn't change my mind about Virginia, I was already high on Virginia before this past weekend. So that it doesn't really change my mind. I, I absolutely think Virginia is a contender, but I have been. Chris, some
0: more numbers for you. Uh, they are 11 and 2 at the number one singles position, Soderland 9 and 2 on the year. They are 15 and 2. At the number three singles position, a combination of Vander Schulenberg, Rodesh, Montez, whoever plays there seems to be having success. Now, they were, you know, their weakest spots right now, six singles. I mentioned the nine and six record. They're 10 and five at two singles, but Dr. Vaughn has shorn up that spot, five and one at the position. He and Montez, 13 and two at three doubles. Now, they're eight and five at one and two, and that doubles point is very toss But you probably like the Doc and Montez at that number three doubles position. You only need to find one more there. You probably feel good about, you know, again, Soderlin, the Doc, going into each and every match. Chris, the question to you, are they a one-point team, a two-point team, a three-point
2: team? Dare we say, a four-point team. Well, you can't, you certainly can't throw doubles in there as as a, like, as you mentioned, right. I mean, it's a, you don't know. So it's, it's, they're not one of the the teams you expect every time to win the doubles point the way Soderland's playing. You gotta think he's a lock. I mean, sure. When you play Will or you play Lexi, you know, you never know what's going to happen, but he's, he's pretty much a, a lock in there. And, and I, I get a little iffy after that. I really like what Vonder Schulenberg's done uh, and they've been good there. But after that, I don't know if I want to say that they're locks, right? I mean, I kind of say in my mind, it's kind of like I feel really good about two of them. And then I feel, you know, I I feel like, you know, I'm a 75%er in other places, but I don't know that I want to go and say it's a lock. How do you feel about this comparison, Tennessee Plus, in that?
0: It's very Tennessee ish. They're going to compete one through six. But it's just a little extra juice in Soderlund and the Doc over the Monday Walton pairing in, you know, uh, Montez. And the revelation of the season is probably the 13 and four Chris Rodesh, who just has served bombs indoors, outdoors, doesn't matter. He gets better with every passing match. Like, is that
2: fair? Tennessee Plus? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think it's fair. And, uh, you know what I can't, what I still think back to, and it'd be great if you, uh, if, if you managed to get coach Pedroso on to ask him if we could actually get an honest answer, which I don't think we would anyway, but an honest answer to the question, uh, of, you know, the getting von der Schulenberg there was a late, late, late commitment. Like people didn't know he was showing up. I still remember obviously because. One of their first matches of the year was with Liberty. Right. And I tell Trevor, I don't know, a week before the match, man, Bonder Schulenberg's at Virginia. And he goes, (laughs) no way. And he's like, he wasn't supposed to be there till next year. I said, he's there, man. And I was like, so that, that was a late, you know, a, a late event getting him in. How big in hindsight is that for them, that team with him or without him right now? Is probably the difference between you believing they can win a national championship and you thinking they can make a deep run, but I don't see them being able to win a national championship.
0: I think that's a perfect way of putting it. And you look at some of the other ACC results we saw on the weekend Virginia again delivering the big blow against UNC. They also knocked off Duke 4 0. They took the doubles point, got wins at two and three. Then they got wins from Getz at five, Woodall at six. And Rhodesh at the number three position. Of course, you also look, we had some big uh, non-UNC, Virginia-related results. Good weekend for Georgia Tech as they knock off NC State 6-1. Marcus McDaniel, their number one singles player, getting a big win over Alexis Gallardo, 7-6, 6-2. And then, you know, for Georgia Tech, they take doubles and the one through five singles positions. They also play a really tight match against Wake Forest. Wake Forest, ultimately, 4-3 victory. They get the clinch from him. Henry Squire, 6-2 in the third over Marcus McDaniel. Uh, you also had Virginia Tech knocking off Duke 4-3. Maddie, you're our ACC correspondent. What do you make of these results?
1: Yeah, I have to look at NC State, guys, because Gruskin, you mentioned the Georgia Tech match, but then they went and played Clemson on Sunday after that, and they actually dropped doubles Clemson as well now they did win four. you know they beat them 4-1 they won four singles matches Lexi didn't actually finish but it was kind of I mean we were getting to a point there where you lose to Georgia Tech and then you drop that doubles point to Clemson and I'm thinking okay what's really going on with this team now because you know if they would have lost that match to Clemson that would have been really rough they didn't but I just I don't know something's not gelling here either with the wolf pack and you know this was a team that we expected you know not not necessarily a top 10 team but you know pushing the top 15 top 20 and you know i'm not sure that's really the case here anymore I, i i don't again talk about trending you know they're not they're not going in the right direction and the ACC is tough. They're still going to have some tough matches left to play. You know, they haven't played, you know, Duke yet. There's other teams on the schedule um, where they could drop some matches. So for me, that was kind of the biggest thing that stuck out, obviously, besides, you know, North Carolina, you know, losing that match was just the state of the Wolf Pack.
0: you know? No, it's a fair, fair description. And look, Lexi's Lexi. Uh, I think Catry's played really well for them. You look overall, I think he's something like 9-3-ish and uh, on the season in his dual matches. Um, I, it's tough because, you know, I think the term is restless. I think this team is looking for some higher stakes. And I think they could absolutely knock off a Wake Forest. Absolutely, you know, make a run to semifinals of the ACC Conference give a Virginia or a UNC a run and then play well in the NCAA tournament. But I just, I do. I, this team's a little listless right now. That's the word that comes to mind for me. Chris, your thoughts on the ACC?
2: Yeah. I mean, from an NC state perspective, I think NC state's going to go as doubles and Lexi go. And if doubles and Lexi aren't firing NC state's not firing. So they've got to get that turned around. And if they do, they're back to being you know, very competitive. If they're losing those those two points, they're they're not competitive in the ACC. So, you know, I think I think it's as simple as that for them. I am I was to your point very impressed with the weekend from Georgia Tech and most importantly, Marcus McDaniel. You mentioned his win over Lexi. He also turns around and beats Henry Squire yeah. f- at, at Wake. So, I mean, what a run! Was that a win? Like
0: I thought Squire knocked him off. Am I crazy? I thought Squire beat him in three to clinch. Are we leave this all in West off for sure? For to my knowledge and but no to your larger point. I mean, win or lose. No,
2: ju- Marcus McDaniel won at six two in the third. Oh, so who clinched for Wake?
0: If you uh, had to guess. I can't re- this is live podcasting, folks. This is where we're at, our beauty. Anyways, because I think I said— I have It, might have, sit. it, might, it might have been Sid. It might pro- have been Sid. Yeah, it might have— It's, pro- at it's probably Yeah, yeah. Th- the timeline works out for that. Anyways, the reason I want to leave that in is because I just failed another homework assignment. I think I said Squire clinched. Yeah, it was a great weekend for Marcus McDaniel. Uh, he certainly uh, continues to step up, and I just think— You know, again, given the lack of dominance of NC State as that clear team number four, because Virginia, UNC, Wake Forest, they're their top three, Duke lost twice this weekend. Uh, You know, Georgia Tech gets a, a, a big win, but Virginia Tech also looks fine, and it's just like Notre Dame lost this weekend, and they were on the charge, but... It's, it's just, intre- you know, the, the race to how many teams does the ACC get in? It's interesting because the ACC is not as screwed as the Pac-12 or the Big Ten. It's not as well off as the Big 12 or the SEC. It honestly might be the one conference that's like properly ranked this season. And it's just worth, again, mentioning that, throwing that out there. But that's enough ACC talk. Let's go out west to the Pac-12 because Arizona – who we talked about I think last week on the podcast maybe it was 2 weeks ago and said yeah with their top 3 with you know uh what they've been doing up and down the lineup they're a team that can absolutely test USC UCLA's of the world and you know be frisky come NCAA time well they said we're not willing to wait for NCAA time we want to get big wins right now and I think it's like for the second and third times, respectively, in program history, maybe it's third or fourth, I apologize. They knock off both of the LA schools beating. USC 4-3, and then knocking off UCLA 4-1 as well. You look at how they did it in the USC match, and it's worth noting USC was playing without Stefan Dostinich, and they did have more bullets. But again, will we ever see a healthy USC lineup this season remains the question. But for Arizona... Two 7-6 tiebreaker decisions in doubles. They knock off the teams of Sands and Westrate, Holt and Fry. Of course, that is where these injuries manifest themselves the most. For an inexperienced Trojan team, they then get a win from freshman Gustav Strom. 6-3 in the third at number two singles. Wins from Alejandro Ricant Picardi over Moore Bullis. And then Carlos Hasse, 6-4 in the third to clinch over Ludwig Westrate. You look for them in the UCLA match, perhaps the most encouraging thing, is that it was a completely different recipe. Okay, we dropped the doubles against UCLA. No worries. Jonas Zevert, 6-4 in the third over Keegan Smith. Strom, straight set win over Govinanda, who's back in action. Mel Basic, straight set win over Drew Baird at three. And then Nick Legaev, uh, 6 love in the third over Matt Solokian. I mean, again, I, I hate to praise ourselves but this Arizona team's legit, Bandy.
1: Well, we said that. Remember, we're, we're just going back a week here. And, and what did I say about Arizona? I said I really wanted to see them improve in doubles. Remember, I said throughout singles, they're solid. They're going to compete everywhere. If they can find a way to win doubles points, I mean, they are very scary. And just look at the USC match. You need not look any further than those two tiebreakers that they won to win the doubles point. That was the match right there. You split the singles, that's going to happen when two good teams are playing. You find a way to win doubles like that, and and you win the match. Uh, And so that's what happened. I think that's huge for them. And again, you know, they drop it to UCLA, but they've got enough firepower throughout singles to actually pull off four of those wins. And who knows, the other matches were unfinished. You know, those weren't done yet either. So, yeah, look, Arizona can compete with anybody They have to find a way to win doubles, though, because, you know, they they were able to win four singles against UCLA. But if we're looking at some of the top 10 teams, you know, 10 to 12 teams in the country, UCLA is not quite up there. It's going to be that much more difficult to win four singles matches. But if they can win doubles, I think they can win three. Yeah, look, Arizona 17 and
0: 4 now overall coming into the weekend their best win was probably against a Pepperdine team that was certainly shorthanded but you know it's funny because they had suffered three straight losses they went on a little Texas swing in the week before this LA run where they lost to Baylor they lost to Texas they even lost at Oklahoma and that's probably the match they want back the most but you know, you look at the stats for them overall on the year, Chris, and I'll read them for you so you can buy some time. Uh, you know, 17-1 and one at the number three singles position, whether it's Ziverts, whether it's Strom, uh, you know, whether it's Philip Malbasic, whoever it is at the number three singles position, they're having success. They're also 16-3 and three at four singles. They're 15-5 and five at five singles, 12-5 and five at one singles. You know, the doubles... They're good at two and three. One's a little bit of a sacrifice, but 14 and three at two, 14 and six at three, that that gets the job done usually. You know, you look at this resume, USC, UCLA, Pepperdine. There's no way the computer will have them as a top 10 team. But in the Chris Hallioris ranking system, where do you have this Arizona squad right now?
2: You probably know better than me. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I want to say 11, but now you're going to make me look like just right off the top of my head really quick. I will look and it is 11. Uh, Yeah. I've got them up to 11 now to, to your point, man, they really probably want that Oklahoma match back. They started the tough swing uh, of their schedule when they, they took losses to, uh, to Baylor in Texas. Then uh, then they go and they play Oklahoma and they lose that match. And now you're starting to think, oh boy, now the rest of the season, as we mentioned on the pod was like, it's other than I think Utah, uh, it's all the big hitters that that, that they have left. And, uh, and yeah, they go in and they manage to beat both USC and UCLA. It's just, I mean, it's a, it's a great win for them. It's still a little bit, like you said, prior to the weekend, Pepperdine the best win on their schedule so uh so they got two big ones now but yeah they still got some work to do I think to to really really prove it but yeah my other takeaway is I don't know how long they're gonna be able to get away with playing Strom at three uh Mm -hmm. I mean the guy's been great no Uh, case they
0: weren't able able to do it against uh UCLA they had to play him at two and he whoops Nanda they he had to do it against Riley Smith too and he beats Riley Smith
2: yeah. Yeah. I mean, the 17 and one for the, the team is uh, at at three for the year. So yeah, it's uh you know, a, a good, a good portion of which is him going nine and Oh, but that's, yeah, he's, he's got to move up and, and, and what a luxury to get a freshman like that to come in and, and do, do what he's done. But yeah, these guys, they're good. They're going to be there. I don't, you know, I have them 11, just because everybody that's down in that range. Has had you know some struggles, like they drop a match. If you are going to be in a top ten team, you shouldn't probably lose a match to Oklahoma, you know. But but everybody else that's in that same spot, right, is you know your UFCs that have lost some in a, you know matches that you think ah you shouldn't lose those kinds of matches. So they're as deserving as anybody to be there right now. Quick rapid fire for both of you: The Doc Jeffrey von der Schulenburg
0: of Virginia, Johannes Monday of Tennessee. Or Gustav Strom, quick straw poll. You can have one of those freshmen who's been the best thus far this year. Who are you taking?
2: I, well, I mean, I don't see. Go ahead, go ahead Chris. Uh, okay, I say I I don't see how, based on the positions they're playing, you can take anyone but Monday. And I mean, the I would, other guys have been the other guys have played two and three. Monday's played exclusively two, and now moved up to one.
1: I was going to say, based off just potential alone, I've got to go Monday. I mean, you're talking about a guy that's like a 6'5 lefty that is just, I mean, you can just see, oh my God. I mean, if this guy rounds his game into form, even grows into his body a little bit more, I mean, just learns how to play the right way, he's going to be unbelievable. I mean, you're talking like serious professional potential. So I think just off of... Pure potential alone. If I could have one guy on my team, I would go with Monday as well. Man, getting to watch the doc in person at the
0: National Indoors, he I love, is I love Dr. Bob No, you love him. I agree. But he is just a rock. Like he is so he's gonna be so good. Like it, it's, just, it's just there's he no already doubt. Is. Me. The floor exactly the floor for him is just, you know, minimum two two floor, like beautiful condo that you go visit in Florida if you make enough money. Monday's got Beachside Mansion potential. You're not wrong, but so does Strom. Strom's good, man. Like, this is why he belongs in that conversation is what I'm trying to say. Is that fair? It, that he certainly. Yeah, you know, that's that he, fair. Yeah, yeah, that's all I'm that's trying fair. to emphasize. And again, for this Arizona team, and I want to look it up so I'm not incorrect because I believe it was uh, I want to say uh, Payers and Players Twitter account, our friend Scott Coulson, who tweeted out the exact stat. So I'm pulling that up as we talk for this Arizona team in terms of again how many wins have they had respectively over USC and UCLA in program history they had had 72
2: and two i think against usc isn't it
0: they were a combined three and 174 against the two teams going into the weekend uh they are now two and zero against the team uh against both teams obviously after this weekend and as we <clears throat> mentioned you look at the rest of their schedule at cal at stanford at utah at arizona state if they win out They will win the regular season conference title. That is an incredible accomplishment for Clancy Shields and this Arizona squad. You look. For the two L.A. teams, they were able to salvage their weekends. Uh, USC ends up getting a victory over Arizona State 6-1. They get victories in doubles with the return of Dostinich and Fry. They win. Kukerman and Smith win. And then they get wins at 1-2, 4-5, and 6. Dostinich still a little banged up. Loses 7-6, 6-4 to Tim Rule. That's not an excuse. Uh, That's just to say, again, the the circumstances. Now, it is worth noting, noting, Ponwith, 7-6, 7-6, lost to Kukerman that's as tight as it gets uh Rocco Matalala did I say that correctly I hope so please let me know if I'm wrong for Arizona State uh 7-6 7-6 loss for him against Riley Smith again that's a toss-up but Chris I want to start with you because we spent a lot of time on the Big Ten last week and you know I feel like we didn't really highlight the Pac-12 but does Arizona beating these two teams that helps, right? It kind of throws them in the mix. And now, you know, at least for Stanford, if you're Stanford and you're like, well, how do we freaking make a comeback someday? If Stanford could beat like UCLA, USC, and Arizona at the Pac-12 championship, that probably gets them into the top 25 now, right?
2: Yeah, well, and they've got a regular season match with Arizona. So that's, uh, you know, Stanford probably was the one team that thought, yeah, this is great because we've already (laughs) lost to USC and UCLA. So, Uh, Arizona beating them gives us a chance to get the points there if we can manage to beat them. But um, yeah, I mean, in the grand scheme of things like those, the losses aren't horrible. That loss wasn't great for UCLA because they're still trying to climb up themselves. It doesn't hurt USC all that much. So the, for Arizona to get those points um, for beating those teams is pretty big because like you said, they didn't have a ton of great points Leading up with you know their best win prior to that over Pepperdine at number 27, uh, so so yeah that's good for it will help the conference in general I think if uh, you know uh, that's assuming they lose right if they never lose a match then it doesn't help yeah. anybody uh, no. <laughs> you know they're just gonna keep moving up and knock everybody <laughs> else down some more but you have to assume that between the Pac-12 tournament and the Stanford matches they've got that you know. They probably lose a match uh, or a few in there, and yeah, I think that that'll help. They're still just because of the strength of that schedule to date. It's they're still not as high up in the. They won't be as high up in the computer rankings as maybe we might project them. Uh, you know, on paper.
0: Mm-hmm. No, that's all fair. And Maddie, I want to give you the final word uh, on the Pac-12 conference, and I want it to be a word about UCLA. You look for them in that Arizona State match. Three set wins from Smith at one, Nanda at two, Baird at three. Now, they didn't take the doubles point, but Solokian delivered the good 6-3 at the six singles position. And that recipe, one, two, three singles, and find a fourth point, that's awfully familiar to Bruins fans, a la the Cressy, Smith, Nanda, top three, find one more. Uh, now, I don't think this UCLA team is that
1: good, but are they top 20 team in your mind? Top 20, yeah. I think they are probably top 20, but I, I don't know how much higher I have them. Than I mean, I can't say that they're in the top 15. Probably not. Um, I probably have them somewhere in between 16 to 19, you know, somewhere in that range probably right now. I mean, look, they're dangerous. Anytime you have guys like Keegan Smith and Govin Nanda and Drew Baird and some of these guys on your team, yeah, like – they're a dangerous team. And if you're a top team, you cannot take them lightly, but I just, I don't see them as like a huge major factor come postseason season time. At least, at least what I've seen out of them so far this year, I don't see them making a tremendously deep run. Could they? I guess, but yeah, I think if the top teams run into them, just focus. You know, you have to show up and if you play well, you're going to beat this UCLA team. If you sleep on them and you show up and you're not playing well, then they can beat you.
0: I said you were going to get the final word. Chris, you have a look on your face that makes you say, "I have a thought to add."
2: No, I mean I'm I'm with Maddie. I think they're they're just one of those dangerous teams that yeah. I think they're more susceptible to losing to a non top team just because maybe they're not into it uh, as much, but you throw one against a top team when you've got Smith Nanda and then, and then doubles with, if they play together, I mean, you could potentially get three points right there. Anybody can find one more on any given day. So yeah, super, super dangerous. I'm with Maddie. Do I expect a deep run out of them? No. Could they jump up and surprise somebody in a big match? Absolutely. Yeah, and again, we will keep
0: an eye on the Bruins throughout the rest of the season. USC, Arizona, Arizona State, UCLA, Stanford. One of those teams is making the Elite Eight. Like, I I am very confident the Pac-12 is going to get one in. Who it's going to be right now, your guess is as good as mine. Uh, and so it's a very, again, uh, there are rumors about some interesting things that might be done for the Pac-12 tournament. We're not going to report them yet because we don't have them locked in, but some interesting rumors floating around that I think college tennis fans would very enjoy if these rumors come to fruition. So we'll leave that there for now. But again, I think I just gave a master's class in bearing the lead because we are at the 41 minute mark. And now we're going to talk about the result that you two are probably most excited to rub into my face, do whatever it is you do, win my Michigan Wolverines. This is my team. At this point, I've given up all other favorites except Michigan because I think coaches, players around the country – if I tell them I'm a Michigan fan, they're like, oh, you went to college there. That makes sense. You're loyal to your college. We can accept anyone loyal to their college. That's what we want out of our fans. But if I'm like, no, I actually ride with the Who's ride or die day one. That's why I'm into this. They'd be like, that's just asinine. They'd be like, that's an unacceptable explanation. So I only have one team at, at from, from here in, and they're my Wolverines. <sighs> and they had their chances outdoors on Friday at the Atkins Tennis Center, 5-5. 5-all, number one doubles tiebreaker. Andrew Fenty's serve. Fenty and Seymour had been up a break multiple times on the now undefeated 8-0 team of Alex Brown and Zeke Clark, and we'll get back to them in a little bit. But a Fenty double fault, a missed high forehand volley from Fenty, a Fenty blink, and Andrew, you know you're my guy, and I'm saying that you would, he would say this too. That's why I don't feel bad saying it. That blink gave Illinois the doubles point. And in a match with the thin of margins as they were, that was the launching point. They take the match 4-2, 5-2 in the end, although Zeke Clark was down 7-6, 4-1 when the match was clinched. I'm not saying he wouldn't have won the match because we've seen him do it before. I'm saying Seymour's effort definitely diminished after the clinch happened. But Maddie, I'll go to you 1st Your reactions to this result. Your reactions, yeah. your reaction, excuse me. Your Re-Atkins, it's the Atkins Tennis Center.
1: Your reaction to this re- result. Yeah, well, you guys remember I picked Michigan 4-3, and I just, I said, look, this thing doubles is huge. And I say this all the time, but I had a lot of confidence in Michigan's doubles. I really did. I thought that was a point that against an Illinois team, they would win regardless of whether the match was played indoors or outdoors. Now, I did say, and we talked about this, playing outdoors swings it in favor of Illinois there's no question about that I knew that but I still said you know what just based off of doubles alone I'm going to pick Michigan 4-3 because I think that decides it and I really do think that that was the case guys right I mean Michigan wins that dubs point I know Seymour you know you look at the court four result but uh, you know I'm not really counting that Let's say Michigan wins that dubs point. I think this goes 4-3 Michigan. They split the singles exactly like I thought would happen. You know, the rest of the results, okay, right? I mean, I figured Kova over Fenty, yes. You know, Styler's the one. That's the match where, again, indoors, like, that's going to Andre Styler. I really feel like it is. Outdoors, monzi scrap i mean monzi's very very good this guy can really play i just feel like god andre styler i've seen styler play so well that that's just a match that he kind of needs to step up and win and when he didn't get the result there you know you lose dubs it just it it wasn't it wasn't looking good i mean the let's just be honest michigan didn't They didn't step up in the big moments of the match and deliver in crunch time. That's just the bottom line. When it was clutch time, they didn't get it done, you know, in singles in some matches or in doubles. And, you know, when you play a good team like Illinois, that's going to cost you. You've got to find a way to win dubs, especially when it's on your racket the way that it was for Andrew Fenty, who I think, you know, that team of Fenty, Seymour, could could be the number one team in the country. Now, after a result like this, are they probably? No, they're probably not. But I think they have that potential to be the best doubles team in the country. They have to find a way to win that.
0: I have three to five minutes on this match because I was there in person, despite there being no broadcast It continues my streak now. Ten straight years of getting to watch at least one Michigan match in person. Shout out to me. Um, but Chris, I want to give you the floor and then I'll do my rant. Your thoughts on this match before I cloud up everyone's judgment with my heavily biased thoughts. <laughs>
2: First, you know, I, I don't know. I I. It's hard to say that there's nothing that makes me happier, but it's there's not a lot that makes me happier than getting to rub it in your face. I mean...
0: <laughs> you guys I mean, don't see hey, the reaction I, I'm giving, Chris, on the Zoom. Let's just say it's a two-bird salute.
2: I'm number 1 is what I see. Uh, I did I did pick that right. So I am number 1. Yeah, I, I I took Illinois. I uh yeah, I mean I think the the problem was as my it I mean the issue there is doubles because you even the, I mean any match can go any way on a given day, but you had to favor Kova at 1. You had to favor Noah Cliff at 6. If you give up the doubles point, that means you have to win every other match. And sure enough, it wasn't that difficult for them at one and six. They were, you know, for Illinois, that is. They got those kind of kind of comfortably as we thought they might. Once they gave up that doubles point, yeah, Michigan's favored in most of the rest. And we kind of thought their answer was going to be Zeke at, against against Seymour. Didn't really see Monty stepping up to beat Styler, but you know, you're going to give them four shots in the middle of the lineup. They're going to find one most of the time. And they did and, and seep step up and, and did it. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think that double, that's just a doubles point that Michigan can't lose. All right. He's Ladies right. and gentlemen.
0: Yeah. You're absolutely right. We'll start with doubles. A. Let's get the one we haven't I'm going to rapid fire through each and every one of these results. I'm going to do it in under three minutes. If I talk really fast, I promise I'm not on cocaine. I just have this gift. I've had it ever since I was two years old to talk really fast and try and make as much sense as possible at this speed. Anyways, Westoff, start the clock. Here we go. A, three doubles position because we haven't talked about it yet at all. When you look at Banchilla and Kovacevic, they played a great match. But Harrison, Brown, and Nick Beatty are just good. Two big serves, two big guys, big presence move forward. They, you know, there's one break of serve in this match. It was in that very last game. Brown and Beattie landed three big returns. Yes, it wasn't the best serve from Banchilla. He would even admit that, uh, that he wished he had that serve back. But it was a really high level, and Brown and Beattie were just the better team. Uh, That's number three doubles. Number two doubles. And by the way, preface to all this— Given how little outdoor tennis these two teams have played, the quality of tennis in this match was outstanding. There is no excuse about playing outside. There's no excuse about the win. These two brought their best tennis despite the match. Indoors, outdoors, didn't matter. Both teams had their best stuff. Styler and Johnston at two. They went up in early break. Connor got broken a couple. It was just it was rough. He got broken a couple of times back and just missed a couple of volleys. Monty Cliff they make so many returns. They move well at the net. They're confident six three. Fenty and Seymour were up break twice. They served for the set. They Andrew Fenty double faults at five all after hitting this incredible shot to get us back uh, uh, to. 2-5 all, and then misses a high forehand volley that indoors he would have definitely made. And like, yeah, that's the set. And I have to say, and I talked to Coach Dancer about this after the match, the pairing of Brown and Clark, they're undefeated for a reason. That's the answer to we're trying to find our doubles pairings. We found them at Illinois. Brown and Clark at one because Zeke Clark gets the absolute best out of Alex Brown, and I heard Alex Brown's voice for the first time this weekend, and it was on Friday, when he was screaming for Zeke Clark and Sifo Monsi to win their matches. And it was when he was screaming as they took the doubles point, and yeah, that was absolutely the decisive match because you had six toss-ups, and look, Patrick Maloney, real deal took it to Alex Brown. He went up a set and a break, and it's a credit to Brown that he ended up, I think, actually having a chance to serve for that second set, and, you know, uh, started taking it to Maloney, started finding his rhythm, but Maloney was the better player from start to finish. Ditto for Nick Beattie, who's just like the real deal. Like, that forehand, it doesn't need to be indoors anymore. He attacks, he plays his game style, he executes to his will. Hunter Heck is starting to play a lot better, and I know Illinois fans and... Coach Dancer, Banchilla, Lucas Horve, Kwasi Kenyatta, they're all options. If these are the six Coach Dancer goes with in his singles lineup for the rest of the season, that's a damn good six. Because Kovacevic is a pro. And that match against Fenty was a pro level. And the problem was, Fenty likes to slice, and every time he did, Kovacevic attacked. He pounced on it, he moved forward, he's attacking too well, approaching too confidently. Three and four win great match Kovacevic was the better player the results showed that Uh, for Cliff at six in my opinion Cliff should be playing five Cliff's the fifth best player in that lineup he's just a rock he doesn't miss he doesn't make mental errors he's such a tough out physically Bickersteth fought and clawed and his competitive effort in the second set is exactly what you want to see from a freshman Cliff was just the better player so that's three points on the board for Illinois The story of the Illinois season, and I promise this is the final point because we've talked about all of these matches. Seymour Clark, the first set was ridiculous. Clark fought off six set points. Seymour ended up taking it in a breaker. That was huge for Michigan. That match is right there. But the story of the match and the story of the Illinois season is the emergence of Sifo Monsi, who's undefeated – in dual matches this season across the number one, two, and three position, who has solidified himself above All-American Alex Brown as the clear-cut number two singles player on this roster, and simply put, got better and better physically as this match went on. He's a scrapper. He can do a little bit of everything. He gets better depending on the level of competition. If you provide him... pace he's so athletic so skilled that he can redirect it so well you all saw the forehand passing shot he hit on match point if you didn't you can find it on my twitter oh my god unbelievable he is why illinois is a top 10 team this year because he gives them a legitimate top four in kovacevic Montsi, brown and clark against most teams illinois is getting three out of the four there and then with Cliff, with doubles, with the emergence of heck even, they can find one more. And so, look, that, that would be my take. And by the way, it was a great bounce back for Michigan who averts disaster, drop another tiebreak decider against Northwestern to drop the doubles point drop, a bunch of first sets, but then, you know, Styler, great for him to bounce back, win and clinch in the third set against Brooks. Maloney, Seymour, Beatty, providing the wins once again for the Wolverines, we talk enough Michigan, so we don't have to address that. But just, again, the I guess, Matty, you made a look there. I think Sifo Monsi is a legitimate, maybe top 30 player in the country. I, like I, In terms of a two-singles match, you could put him against anyone, and I feel pretty good riding him out there. That's how good he's been this year.
1: Yeah, I he mean, I lost. can't— Right, which is why I can't, I can't really disagree. I just— I think very highly of Andre Styler, and I kind of put him in a bit of a different category for a number two. Like to me, that that's no. Just it's a one match. Michigan's got to have. I agree with you, right? But Monty
0: took it. Is what I'm trying to say. It, I thought Styler played well. I just thought Monsi took it, and that's why to me he was the story. Sorry to cut you off.
1: Yeah, no, that's. I mean, you were there. I, I'm with you. I I have nothing to say to that. And you know, what's kind of funny. I mean, Andre Styler, for as big of a guy as he is, he's Gonna start to hate some of these smaller cats. I mean, Monsi and how about Matias Soto, you know, when they played up in Ann Arbor early in the season, Styler's having some trouble with the smaller guys, um, you know, which is kind of interesting. Then he goes and plays Nick Brooks for Northwestern, who's like six, seven, and he ends up beating him. So I don't know, maybe Andre Styler, you know, if you're if you're matching up with Michigan, play your smallest guy at two and you have a good chance to beat him. I just you know, I don't know, Monty, he is a very good player and he's played so much better than Alex Brown this year. He has solidified himself as the number two player at Illinois. I agree.
0: Chris, I know if I said to you, see, you'll go foe. And I go see, and you go foe. And we go see, foe, see, foe, see, foe. But your final thoughts on this Illinois team.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I think, uh, you know, I think for the big 10, it's, uh, it's tough now with Michigan going yeah. down in that match, only because you've got Ohio State and Illinois now. And, and prior to the Big Ten tournament, there, you know, that's that's really where all the points are, uh, and it, and it's going to be tough to come by uh, anywhere else. Illinois clearly has you know has proven as much as they can that that they're back and they're for real. Uh, so yeah, I and with Kova playing the way he is, I, to me, if they can get the doubles point. And what was astonishing to me that I, I I had completely forgotten until after you started went through the individual results, was they should be the favorite in a doubles match at three with Kova on the court every yeah. time. And that's the match they dropped to Michigan and still got the doubles point. So if they can manage to get the doubles point, uh, you know, that they're gonna be in very, very, very good shape. So I I like the chances. I like the team. All day, Zeke. Uh, All day, Zeke. I don't ever want to hear all of that again. Uh. (laughs) No,
0: the funniest thing is I was talking to Coach Dancer after the match, and I said, Coach, the smartest person I know says you guys beating Michigan actually hurts you long-term. And he was like... (laughs) And he gave me this look like, wait, because, like, you know, sometimes I do know what I'm talking about. And he was like, are, are you serious? And I had the look like, I am serious. Like, and, and trust me, I, I might be wrong, but he's not wrong. And so it just, it, he was just laughing, but no, Illinois was incredible. They deserve the win. How the big 10 regular season titles actually going to work this season, given the two divisions play everyone in their division twice, but not the people in the other division. Uh, I don't know, but Illinois if you call them the 2021 Big Ten regular season champs, they've earned that moniker thus far this season. With that in mind, Maddie, you're giving me a face, so we're going to rapid fire through these other results. SEC correspondent Chris Your thoughts on the following We had Kentucky Brutal weekend For the Wildcats They are on the precipice Of a couple of upsets They drop a 4-3 decision At Georgia They drop I believe it was A 4-3 decision as well What was the other match? Was it South Tennessee. Carolina? No, Tennessee, Tennessee Thank you A 4-3 decision uh, Against Tennessee as well You also had Mississippi State Knocking off Mississippi uh, You had Mississippi Excuse me Knocking off Mississippi State 5-2 You had Florida, 7-0 over Arkansas. AM and 5-2 over Auburn. Your thoughts. I, d- don't talk about the Arkansas-UCF match yet because that's for my next rant. But just your thoughts on the SEC play. It's like the first time in a month we haven't led with Florida wins again. So just what did happen <laughs> yeah. down south this week?
2: Yeah, we had a couple uh... – you know, a couple cancellations. I think Alabama had to, had to postpone some matches. So I'm, I'm sure clearly that's protocol related. So we didn't get to, didn't get to see them this weekend. Yeah. Ole Miss knocking off Mississippi state. Uh, uh I think there's kind of a, there's a big, there's a log jam, if you will, in the rankings. They're fairly together in the computer rankings. I've got them together as well, but just lower in the rankings of the, the foursome, if you will, of, Old Miss, Mississippi State, South Carolina, and Georgia—a uh, big logjam of teams there. Old Miss, you know, take, taking it to Mississippi State, showing that they're probably at the top. And I've got Mississippi State at the bottom of that grouping. Uh, the question is, kind of, what order do you throw Old Miss, Georgia, South Carolina in, uh, based on based on results? Uh, and I think, to me, South Carolina owning the wins on them is there, but oh, nobody's got the win over A and M like Old Miss does. So, so that's tough. But yeah, that was, I mean that was a good match. Um the Kentucky weekend was yeah, that that was a rough weekend dropping that 4-3 match uh, at Georgia coming down to I mean on serve 5-4 in the third against uh, against Billy Rowe and and they get broke at Billy breaks them to to win that match and then go and lose a, a 4-3 match the next day where they get wins at 1-2 and 3 uh against Tennessee. So that was I mean that you, you got to feel good coming out of a, a match with Tennessee sweeping the top three single spots. And then at the same time, that's why we say Tennessee is kind of that you, you don't have any points on the board. They're just, they can win anywhere. Right. And that's, that's what they did. They got the wins uh, in dubs and at the bottom of the lineup, but they they just find a way to get four, four wins every time. So um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm looking forward to the rest of the season. I, I still, want to see who that, who that number four team is going to be. Uh, but I really want to see how the, how the Tennessee AM Florida thing plays out. Clearly they've separated themselves from the rest of the group. Yeah. I'm, I mean, Maddie, I don't have anything to
0: add to you.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's good, Chris. I, I feel like, you know, you mentioned that little uh, foursome right after, after the top three. And I, I mean, I think Kentucky's close. You know, I know they lost these couple of matches, but they're up there. I mean, they nearly beat Georgia. They won those three matches against Tennessee. I feel like that's a dangerous team. Come the SEC tournament, you know, you may want to see Kentucky on the other half of the draw, right? Like, if you're a Mississippi State, if you're an Ole Miss or a South Carolina you know, Kentucky's close. They're up there. I mean, again, the SEC, there's a lot of good teams here. Um, that's going to be one hell of a tournament come postseason time. We'll have to see where the seedings play out and everything, who's seeded where on what half of the draw. But, man, I'm looking forward to that for sure.
2: Yeah, I've actually got those – Kentucky's actually – I've got those five teams all back-to-back in my rankings at 17 through 21. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, they're, they're right there in that mix too. And yeah, that's a, like you said, that's going to make for a very, a very, very interesting, uh, a draw for that, for the SEC tournament. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Well then with that in mind, rapid fire through the ending of these results, because you guys brought up rankings. We want to give our updated crack rackets, top 10 poll UCF. Week of all weeks. Probably your biggest winner on the week, even more so than Virginia. Let's start with their first match. 6-1 win over Arkansas. They follow that up. 4-0 over SMU. They follow that up. 4-0 at Oklahoma. And then they followed up with perhaps their biggest win. 4-2 at Oklahoma State. It was different positions each and every week, each and every time for this UCF team. Matty, the Golden Knights are a legit top 20 squad.
1: Yeah, again, this is another dangerous team where, you know, come NCAA tournament, they could cause an upset, right? If you don't show up and you're not fully prepared to play this team, I think they play pretty good dubs. They have some really good individual doubles players. Their teams, I mean, they're they're pretty good. Um, and then yeah, you look throughout their singles lineup and they can win at almost every position on any type of day. They're like a UCLA, though, where I don't expect them to make a super deep run. Like, I don't think they're going to get to the quarterfinals. But top 16, yeah, I think for them, that's a realistic goal. You know, if they finish in that round of 16 come tournament time, they're, they're a dangerous team. And uh, I almost
0: speculated Jones openly on the podcast, but it's that sort of speculation that gets me in trouble nowadays with coaches. So I'm not going to play any Speculation Jones, but maybe by even offering that Speculation Jones, you guys will know the Speculation Jones I'm referring to. Anyways, And if you guys want to know the origins of Speculation Jones... God, you have to go back, what, two and a half years to the first podcast I recorded while I was sitting in my car, and I thought Chris Halioris was a reputable journalist. Little did I know. He's even more so. He's a professor and a scholar of the sport. Uh, <laughs> there's the pivot for you. But, Chris, your thoughts on UCF, and then just to add three more to the mix. Oklahoma State, 4-3 win over Tulsa. Liberty. Five to win over UNC Wilmington. I know you saw that one, and then Middle Tennessee State. We talk about them every week. Another big one for them. Four three over USF. Your thoughts on everything else we saw last week?
2: Yeah, I mean a huge weekend for UCF. They're they're looking at you know in the projected computer rankings for for Wednesday at potentially moving all the way up to number twelve from number twenty six, uh, and. And the, the big thing for them is not only is that a this week deal, one of those wins, which was SMU, isn't even going to be one of the ones that counts because they're only counting five wins again this week. So they they put in another win just to help them out for for down the road. So, so they're going to be in good shape for a little while in the computer rankings. So yeah, a, a great weekend for them. I'm with Maddie. It's been a lot of middle tier right when i say middle tier it's your oklahoma state was obviously their best win of the year at 18 oklahoma 24 usf at 29 i mean you know no no top 10 or 15 wins but very very solid i mean they are they're a very solid team that can be dangerous um yeah i mean the other one that really jumped out at me was that middle tennessee state win over usf that's a big win uh for them usf a very good very good team sitting at 29 middle Tennessee, you know, has racked quietly this year, racked up some good wins, but again, kind of picking on that, that trailing end, if you will, of, of the sec. And now they jump up and grab UCF, a team that was in the top 30, much like schools like Alabama, et cetera, that they had already, uh, you know, played, but yeah, that's, that was a huge win, uh, for middle Tennessee that'll help them out in the, in the computer rankings. You know, they're, they're in a tough spot where they're always right on that bubble for the, for the NCAAs and they have to win the conference tourney. They usually get that done, but if they don't uh, you know, it puts them out that those wins they've got now have put them solidly inside the top 40 um coming from 46 this week now up to projected 36 this week with that win so I, that's huge a huge win for middle tennessee that looks like they're they're in very good shape uh for the ncaa's and i totally lost track of the other ones who even they're brought up to me
0: i brought up middle you know you brought up middle tennessee state you avoided the liberty flames who oh of yeah i
2: mean yeah so that, i mean first of all big oh, should win i not them. have
0: reminded him did I no, yeah, I'm just still,
2: kidding? <laughs> should have left it out. Yeah. Still, still missing their number, you know, their number two guy, Josh Wilson out. So that was looking and then and then had to pull their number one as well for a ranked match against UNC Wilmington. Uh and and got through that okay. And then so that that's a good sign. But um if both of those guys aren't in there and and Nick was back in the lineup for Sunday, Josh was not. If they're not both there, they have a big match this week, Wednesday at Duke. Um, that's going to be, you know, a rough, a really rough one. If you don't have, if you're not full strength. So, so that'll, you know, either way, good match for the guys, uh, in getting competitive matches in against that competition for the, you know, for a team that's been ranked now the first time in program history.
0: Yeah, Uh, You said it all there. Well, with that in mind, let's look at the week ahead. You look, again, uh, some really fun matches down south. I don't know if Texas is the south. It's kind of its own province, I suppose. But Texas going to play A&M and TCU. UCF has Wake Forest. UCF going to play USF as well. You mentioned the Liberty Duke match. You've also got Baylor, Oklahoma State, Virginia Tech, Virginia, Texas Tech, Oklahoma. A bunch of fun SEC affairs. And of course, everyone's ranked because it is. The SEC you've also got SMU at Wichita State big weekend for the Pepperdine waves as well should be a fun week of tennis for all of us to recap come next podcast quickly before we get to the rankings very quickly Maddie. I promise Chris I have heard and because you know I feel like you hear a lot of the same things I do not that Maddie doesn't hear them but uh, you know coaches and players and different feedback about the first set of computer rankings and just quickly I I just want to talk about that feedback a little bit without obviously giving up who we're talking to what exactly we're talking about the two biggest things outside of obviously the conferences and the difficulties for the uh, Pac-12 and the Big Ten that I keep hearing are a seating moving forward what are we going to do about team seeding come the NCAA tournament? What the hell are we going to do about individual seeding come the singles and doubles events? And then B, the second concern is, you know, rank. Uh, excuse me, match requirements. How many matches do these players have to play? How many matches do these teams have to play? The 500 rule, all of these different things. All of those questions were brought up again by the set of computer rankings. And I know we've addressed them before, but just quickly curious if you heard similar things. And then again, just the a general quick reminder of where those things currently stand.
2: Yeah. So uh, as far as the singles and doubles, let's start with the singles and doubles, right? Singles and doubles. Uh, my understanding is that they have relaxed uh, this year, uh, but it's, Obviously, that's everything's still in play. They're there's kind of playing it, you know, by ear, if you will. But I think they've reduced, and I and I told you I would look that up ahead of time, and I've totally forgot to, but they reduced the number of required required matches for singles and doubles, uh, for individuals. So that won't be a, as bad. The plan I will say now for the team, as I and I had kind of tweeted out earlier that you know, we don't know from week to week right now what it's going to be. It sounds like what the committee decided on today, and it sounds like it's going to be just a weekly decision from the committee, was to use five wins again this week, uh, which is what they used last week. And by this time in the season, normally we'd be at seven or eight. Um, and it's it's normally nine that count for NCAA selection times to, into the rankings. Uh, and what I heard was, that uh, we may get to nine wins for the team, or we may only get to eight. But what the committee's looking at is the average number of matches played compared to a normal season. And then they're going to adjust how many they count based on that. Uh, And so they're looking at the average number of matches played for the top 100 teams. So we may not get up to counting nine this year. We may only get to where we count eight wins for the teams into NCAAs. But the one thing we need to keep in mind is both singles and doubles and teams, when we get to NCAA times, it's exactly that. It's the NCAA. Now, because the rankings we're all looking at are the ITA rankings. the Historically, the NCAA has pretty much taken the ITA rankings and used them and done their little adjustments for head to head, right? But just gone down the list and said, yep, we're taking the, we're taking the ITA computer rankings and that's what we're gonna use to see. There there still is technically a committee. The committee does not have to do that. So the NCAA could decide on their own this year, hey, we understand your computer rankings says Stanford's number 42 or whatever it is they end up being by the end, but no, we're going to see them Whatever, it's that's totally up to them. I have no clue how that's going to work, but just but people should keep in mind that that's not you know that's not Corey and the ITA that gets to decide that when it gets to it to the that time they help facilitate the ITA rankings with the operating committee, but they they don't make the selections. They work with the NCAA to provide them the information. The NCAA ultimately has a committee that decides what to do with the information they get and make those seatings. So. No, unfortunately, we don't know how it's going to work, but yes, there will be the at least the requirements for getting in for singles and doubles won't be a, as stringent as it has been in the past is what I'm hearing.
0: All right. There's your wrap up of all things rankings related. That's why he's the professor, folks. With that in mind, professor, get your notepad ready. Gentlemen, let's talk top 10. And obviously, we can't just say it's a shoe in anymore. Oh, UNC's going to be at number one for both of you guys, right? We can just lock that in. No, no, no. UNC suffering a loss. And unless you want to say all of the undefeated teams Chris listed at the top of the show are your numbers one, two, three, and 4. I guess that's your prerogative. Otherwise, it's going to be a really hot debate here this week. And so I'm expecting some differences. With that in mind, I'll go first. I know they lost to Virginia this week. I know it looked bad. I know that's two straight matches where they have not— or two out of their last three against South Carolina against Virginia where they have not looked good. But North Carolina is still my number one team because every team sans the greatest of the greatest lose a match during the season. Even those Virginia teams, the junior, sophomore, senior teams that won three in a row— I don't think any of those teams went undefeated. You know, you have to date back to the Jameer Jenkins, Virginia team. And did that Wake Forest team go undefeated? I think even they lost once right to Florida, if memory serves me correctly or something like that. And so, again, it happens all of the time. I still look at their lineup. Doubles, Blumberg, Cernok, one of Rinky or Ben if healthy, and that's to me the surest thing. So yeah, they lost to Virginia, who was a top three school for me heading into the week. Virginia moves up to number two in my rankings, but a loss on the road to Virginia, despite it being six one, is an excusable not excusable, is an understandable loss. And they're still my top team. Like, I just don't feel good putting any other team in the country at number one. That's why I have them number one. I imagine there's an argument you can make for one other school, and I think you both have them. Maddie. I'll go to you first. Do you have that other school? I do.
1: I have the Florida Gators at number one. And, and again, this is just – This week, right? I mean, right now we're not projecting who we think's gonna win the tournament or anything. I mean, it sounds like, you know, Gruskin, you're just saying overall, I still believe North Carolina is the best team. You know, I don't know if I completely disagree, but for this week's rankings, absolutely, I'm going with Florida. There's no question about it. I mean, that was an easy call. Florida Gators number one. A four three loss
0: at Texas versus a four zero loss at Virginia. Here's the thing. Again, the four
1: or the four three loss to Texas was way better. Was that in January? Yeah, I mean, but I, in, it's still a matter of, again, I know it's a snapshot of the week, but, yeah. like, if they played
0: head-to-head, do you think Florida would beat UNC right now?
1: Yeah, I do. I
0: okay. do. But then I can't argue. That's I do. And, and, by the way, that's perfectly reasonable argument to make. So, I, I think that's the other team. Chris, you're an SEC slappy. There's no way. You, this is your excuse. Put Florida at one.
2: Oh, uh, obviously. There's no Sorry, doubt. I'm
0: still defensive about Michigan. So, I had to throw <laughs> that in yeah. <here>. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But no, yeah, Florida number one?
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: For all the reasons Matty stated? Yep. Do the rankings have them number one too, just by the numbers?
2: Yes. Yeah. They so? should They should be the new number one in the computer poll come Wednesday.
0: Yeah. Deserve it so. They're what, like 17-1 and one now? Something crazy like that. They have been ridiculously good. Threw us off the scent, but that's how these Florida teams have fun, I suppose. Um, all right. All right. Let's move to number two. I already said it. It's Virginia for me. Their wins now over UNC, over TCU. Uh, I, they've I, they beaten Wake Forest. They've beaten Wake Forest as well. They're beating everyone they're supposed to beat. They beat Ohio State at Ohio State.
1: They're young, but they've gotten better. They're my number two team. Maddie? I agree. I have Virginia at number two in my rankings as well. Both of their losses, they have two losses on the year. They both came at indoors. One of those was to North Carolina, which they just avenged that loss, you know, this past weekend. Um, I think that's a good spot for them right now. I got the who's at number two. I can't believe you're going to drop North Carolina out of the
0: top two. That's crazy to me.
2: Uh, Chris? I'm just trying to figure out where Maddie and I are ever going to diverge here, but I don't think completely agree. Virginia number two.
0: That's horrible. Well, so we're going to have a two-way tie now at number two because by the numbers, I assume you both have UNC number three, which makes sense. I, I have yep. I have Florida number three, which makes sense for me. Now the question is, I think we have a th- – are we going to have a three-way tie?
2: No. Nope. Nope. They all work out different.
0: Okay. Beautiful. Good math by me, Alex. Way to go. Um. Anyways, I have Florida number three. You guys have UNC number three. Those are kind of your clear-cut top three right now. It's funny. We said earlier in the season it was a clear-cut top five. We've probably widowed that down to three, although, of course, winnowed, windowed, whatever, whatever, willowed is whatever the phrase is. You guys know what I'm talking about. Um, number four for me is still the Baylor Bears. And, like, the, we might look back in the season when they win the national title and it's like, huh. We said it was a three-team conversation. Like, I think Baylor's still – you know what? I stand – I retract all of that. It's still a five-team conversation. I still love the Bears. Yeah, they drop a doubles point. Their depth is crazy. They're my number four team, Matty.
1: Uh, they are not my number four team. My number four team is the Tennessee Volunteers. Right. I th- I mean, I think they're just as good right now. Just based off the eye test alone, Baylor has some issues to work out, especially in doubles. I, I'm not loving what I'm seeing from them recently. And now we're starting Big 12 play. So now is really the time to put up or shut up and we'll see what they're made of uh, over these next few weeks. But um, you still have to be very impressed with Tennessee and their entire body of work. I've got the Vols at number four. So we flip
0: flop. I imagine you have Baylor five. I have that's right. Tennessee at five. So slight variance,
2: Chris. I imagine you agree with Maddie. Actually, I'm. I, I knew we were going to vary here. I'm with you. I still actually have Baylor four and Tennessee five. I mean, it's uh, that's is super it on the power of that? To me. What's it on the power off of the Illinois win?
0: The Wake Forest win? The – I mean, what are Baylor's best wins right now, rankings-wise? Illinois, Wake Forest. Who they I mean, beat first run Texas at the National twice. Texas. Oh, Texas twice. Yeah, that's true. Texas twice. Yeah, okay. No, it's for sure. I mean, I'm just curious. But I I'm Chris saying right now,
1: math-based. like, for this snapshot in time this week, if they were to play tomorrow, Tennessee-Baylor, you guys would both go Baylor if they yes. play tomorrow? I would. Chris?
2: Yeah. That's it. I mean, I, I think I take either school at home. Um, yeah. You know, I, <laughs> so a on point. a new, in a neutral site, like an NCAA type match, man, I, I think I, the problem is I lean Baylor more because I think I keep, and I might, I'm probably biased to put what I think is the potential that they're not quite living up to right now, Maddie. Right. I I Um, hear you there. I'm just saying. It's a Sven Law question. It
0: literally is a Sven Law question. If he can be the three singles player we think he needs to be. I mean, I know there are some other issues. But four through six, I'm still taking Spencer every day and twice on Sunday. Uh, I'm still taking Charlie. I'm still taking Nick. And they're going to get one of the top three. So it's like that's why.
2: Yeah, I just think that's – I I think personally that that match is a is a terrible matchup for Tennessee. Exactly, actually. Uh, yeah. A Sven-La Martin Prada is not – that's the weak spot maybe for Baylor. It's not the strongest spot for Tennessee either. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's a rough – but, yeah, I mean, I again, I think that's a – those two teams to me are just a toss-up at 4-5. And it, by the way, I drive the Tennessee bandwagon as much as anyone.
0: But, no, I would I would lean Baylor. But, again, for the top five remains the same, slightly different order than we had last week. I do imagine we're all going to have a unanimous Texas at six. It's always 4-3, but I feel like across the board, Texas? I do, yes. Texas Chris?
2: at six. Yep, I have Texas at six as well. I right.
0: can pencil that one in. Now it gets fun. With their win over Michigan, their win over Ohio State, Their win over Virginia, their win over USC, I think you have to put Illinois 7 at this point. I will be surprised if either of you have them lower than 8, because I think you can make a case for Texas A&M here, and those are the next two teams that come up. I have Illinois 7, A&M 8. You seem to be shaking your head as if you like the SEC wins better, Maddie.
1: Well... (sighs) So last week in my rankings, I didn't have Illinois in my top 10, as a matter of fact. So yes, they beat Michigan, but I'm actually going to have to just slide A&M up into the number seven position. And then I do have Illinois coming in at eight. So Texas A&M for me is number seven with Illinois by virtue of that victory over uh, the Wolverines. The Illini are at number eight for me.
0: So, what's more impressive—a win over Virginia at home without Kavasovic, or a win over Baylor at home without Habib? Like, because that's like the two best wins, and that's why to me these two teams are neck and neck. And I can't argue with your order seven, eight. That's fine. I just I've yeah. seen them in person. I know how good this Illinois team is. That's why I have them at seven. But I can't argue with your logic, Chris. What way do you go?
2: yeah, I feel like I'm turning into the SEC Homer that's just downplaying all the SEC teams now. <laughs> uh, i I have you guys went seven eight, my my seven. I do have Illinois at seven. Uh, but I still do not have a and m at eight. I have Ohio State at eight. Interesting. make the case. I mean, it's all thin margins. yeah, look here i I want to put a and m up there. Uh, and they do, they've got the win at over, over Baylor and a win over TCU. Right. But then they've got, I mean, they also lost to Baylor, but they've got the loss to Arkansas. They've got a loss to an old miss team that, you know, that I have in a group down more towards, like I said, I told you, I have those five sec teams at 17 to 21. Um, so not, not as high. Ah, I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm valuing – at this point, I think I'm valuing a little bit more the quality of the losses versus the quality of the wins. But it is a tough argument to make given that, you know, we're obviously sliding Michigan down wherever we are after their loss yeah. this weekend. That that's one of the Ohio State losses as well. But I I don't know. I just – I I still can't get away from the fact that I – unless – Unless they lose another one or, like, lose a second time to Michigan, I still think Ohio State's a top-eight team.
0: Their losses are essentially the same. Michigan's are to Baylor and Illinois. Ohio State's are to Virginia and Michigan. I mean, it's literally fairly identical resumes, so it is interesting you say that. Uh, We can just round it out here. I don't have Ohio State in my top ten. I have them number 11. I have TCU 9, Michigan 10. Call me a homer if you want. We won the match 4-3. That was literally my tiebreaker. And I just think Illinois with the Virginia win with the National Indoor Performance Day, that's why they got the boost. But so for me, again, to round things out, Illinois 7, A&M 8, TCU 9, Michigan 10. By the way, that's the same top 10 I submitted to the USTA poll this week. So people who want to get mad at me, feel free to at me at Great Shot Pod. Batty, round out your list for us
1: yeah so at nine i have tcu and at 10 i have ohio state all
0: right so you went ohio state over michigan
1: i went ohio state over michigan yes i did it's fair chris
2: i've got uh, a&m at nine and tcu at 10
1: Okay.
0: So neither of you guys like Michigan. That's fine. I feel like me putting them at, I mean, they're probably going to get boxed out here, but that's okay. Um, I can live with that. So we give time for Chris to run the numbers. Uh, Again, is pretty cool. Worth noting. I want to give a shout out to you guys, a shout out to the USTA Tennis Channel poll. Uh, They invited me to vote in the poll this year. Of course, my immediate reaction was to text you guys and to say, hey, Tell me I'm not screwing this up too badly. You're like, eh, this guy goes here, that guy goes there. But overall, the list is somewhat correct. With that in mind, Chris, I hope I bought you enough time. Do we have a brand new—we're going to have a new number one. So unveil the new—first new number one, by the way, of the season. So Westhoff, drumroll, please. Chris, give me the new top ten.
2: We have uh, at number one, Florida, number two, Virginia, number three, North Carolina, number four, Baylor, number five, Tennessee, number six, Texas, number seven, Illinois, number eight, Texas A&M, number nine, TCU, And number 10, Ohio State. Not too bad. Not too bad at all. The teams missing
0: from the initial poll. No USC, no Wake Forest, no Stanford. Uh, Obviously, the drop-off of those schools, certainly noticeable. But again, Tennessee, Illinois, the two outliers. Texas that high, perhaps, as well. Everyone else, teams we expected to be in the mix. So certainly, again, it has been a fascinating first few months of this 2020 season, 21 season. And before you know it, by the way, as you mentioned, big 12 play starting home stretch. I know I have my last Illinois men's tennis broadcast of the year. This weekend conference tournament's going to be upon us and then it's going to be May, folks, and the fun really gets going. Of course, if you have missed any of the action, all of our coverage you can find on our website, crackrackets.com, Miami Open going on right now. We've covered every day on the Mini Break podcast. And, of course, if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Crack Rackets. Shout-out, as always, to the super producers, Max Liger and Daniel Westoff for the f- of an ending job they do day in, day out. Shout-out as well to our friends at Turner. With that in mind, Maddie. I know you don't like it when I do this, but I'm going to do it anyways. Any final
1: thoughts? Well, I'm just – look, guys. I mean, I've been waiting for this time of year all year, right? Big 12 play. I'm going to be dialed into that. We should have some great matches. So, look, like you said, Gruskin, this is the home stretch. Now the teams really need to start separating themselves. Like, we have to see these top teams playing their best right now. This is the time you didn't want to peak too early in January, February, March. You want to be peaking in April and May, so that starts now.
0: Yeah, absolutely,
2: Chris. Anything to add? Uh also, I didn't. We didn't do a uh, Chris's corner or anything this week, so I, I'll use this this time to give one a shout out to uh, you know as I'm going through uh, where teams are ranked a, uh, you know, Matt Emery, who used to be the assistant under Cedric at UK, left to take the head coaching job at Kennesaw State, men and women. They're men and women's programs, both uh, with program all time high rankings uh, this week. Obviously they're not top 50, but they're high records for that program. So Matt doing a great job down at Kennesaw State, a shout out to him. And, uh, and then a topic that we didn't bring up, we had talked earlier in the year, uh, about uh, guys like uh, Ciamara and Tristan McCormick leaving Notre Dame and we're starting to see the pieces of what's mm-hmm. going on there. Absolutely. So Absolutely. We, we'd throw that in. Uh, we saw this week the tweet that uh, the number one player from St. John's will be transferring to Notre Dame next year. Uh, in addition, uh, you know, they've got a kid signed, uh, a Chinese uh, recruit signed that made round of 16 in the Aussie juniors last year. Uh, another grad transfer that I I haven't paid enough attention yet to know if it's been announced. So uh, I'm not going to bring that one up until it is. Uh, but yeah, but Notre Dame is definitely uh, filling in, you know, the pieces uh, or, or the pieces are becoming apparent to us anyway, of, of what's been going on with, you know, with who's leaving and who's coming. So uh, so some good some good building there by coach satchire
0: mm-hmm. i think that's a perfect uh way to end but with that in mind i suppose for my wonderful matt, the cracks, the co hosts matt cracks to chris halliorz our super producers fliegner and westoff our friends at Turnagrip, and all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin gentlemen what do we tell our listeners hey hey great shot great shot I honestly expected you guys to say that's the break. So I would have screwed that one up. Shout out to you both. But on that note, we will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone.